0: Welcome to today's news headlines from the Scottish Radio News team. I'm Alistair Connell. Motorists in Clyland are being warned over a lengthy road closure which will take place over the coming weeks. North Lanarkshire Council have confirmed that in order to facilitate junction improvement works associated with a residential development on the B7029 Bellside Road, a temporary closure will take place within that street. The Council's Roads Department confirmed the order will last from Monday, January the 22nd until Sunday, February the 18th. Pedestrian access will be permitted at all times. The closure will be from the extended east curb line of Cleland Railway. A 22-year-old Aberdeenshire musician and TikTok star has spoken of his inexplicable rise to the top. Callum Bowie from Bankery spoke to the Daily Record... ...about going from playing covers out his window during lockdown... ...to signing with EMI and becoming a social media sensation... ...with over 450,000 TikTok followers... ...who have viewed his videos over 60 million times. He told the Record that he'd been doing gigs in local pubs in Aberdeen... ...and posting on Instagram and then lockdown happened... ...and his sister said, I should try this TikTok thing. He said, I was in home in Bankery and started posting covers mainly and some original stuff. And when I moved back to my student flat in Edinburgh, one day I was playing some guitar by the window to get the nice light. Somebody shouted up from the street, play Wonderwall. That was the first really big one. It got 80, sorry, 800,000 views. And then a neighbour stuck her head out the window telling him to keep going. That got 3 million views and it became his thing. A one-legged paedophile who's supposed to be behind bars in the West Indies has been told he can carry on living in Scotland. Violent thug Colin Christensen was caged on the Isle of St. Martin for abusing a six-year-old girl, passing round child abuse videos and also looting jewels. Jail chiefs allowed the beast to fly out to Glasgow to get a false limb fitted, but that was in 2019 and he never returned. Now, Crown Office lawyers have said he can stay here indefinitely. The predator, aged 55, is clear he's too ill to fly to the Caribbean to finish his seven-year term and needs our superior free NHS treatment. The sky's the limit as Glasgow Airport and its partners are set to host their annual jobs fair in the main terminal to get 2024 off to a flyer. Over 35 employers based across the airport's campus will be represented at the event, which will be held on the first floor of the main terminal opposite the entrance to the central search area between 10am and 4pm on Wednesday, January 17th. A walker has been found following a ten-hour search and rescue operation in the Cairngorms. Cairngorm and Braemar Mountain Rescue teams were called out shortly before 6 p.m. on Saturday. Police were able to trace the man's phone on the north side of Ben Macdui, but a rescue helicopter could not be scrambled due to blizzard-like conditions. He was eventually located at about 11:30 p.m. and walked off the mountain. That's your caught up. More news in a minute. FM weather with Ace
1: competitions.
0: And now here on Mers FM, the weather for the Grampian area. Monday we'll see sunny spells and a few snow showers although these will become somewhat less widespread by late afternoon. It will be feeling bitterly cold in the fresh to strong northwesterly winds with a maximum temperature of zero degrees Celsius. The outlook for Tuesday to Thursday will remain very cold with further snow showers, especially across the north. A chance of some widespread snow for a time on Tuesday. Widespread frost which will be locally severe and less. FM weather with ace
2: competitions head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook
3: and Instagram for more information
4: And so, if you're under pressure, getting nowhere fast and despair of the bureaucrats and worse, get ITV to commission a series about it. Never has a group of people been better served by television than the workers sold out by the post office. And now finding justice, thanks to a four-part drama on ITV. Office prosecutions, now there are questions for the Crown Office. Hamza Yusuf claims Scots would be thousands of pounds better off with independence. And Anas Sarwar says the Scots are being failed by their two governments. From Caledonia Media, and Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Holyrood.
5: Time and time again, they were not listened to. They have waited far too long for justice. they waited far too long for compensation. This government will work with the UK government to ensure they get access to not just justice, but access to the compensation they so uh, rightly
4: deserve. It's the week the gloves came off as the real countdown to the general election begins. In one corner, the SNP, where pundits predict them to shed seats as the nation says it's scunnered with them. In the other, refreshed Labour with a spring in its step under the vibrant leadership of Anasawa. The Conservatives say they'll not only hold their seats here, they'll make gains. And Alaba is confident and fielding candidates nationwide under the banner of independence. But the big story this week is the gripping ITV drama that has forced politicians to act instead of dither. And after years of despair finally delivered justice for the country's postmasters and postmistresses treated appallingly by the post office. We join Tom Bradby at ITV News.
6: When hundreds of sub-postmasters and mistresses insisted they had not had their hands in their tills, the head of the post office at the time, Paula Vennells, wasn't listening. Well, she's listening now. After the shock reaction to the ITV drama Mr Bates versus the post office, which has been watched by almost 10 million people and rising. With her already tarnished reputation now shredded, Miss Vennells said she was aware of the calls for her to return her CBE. I have listened, she said. And I am returning it with immediate effect. With the dignity on display in the miniseries, the real-life sub-postmasters and mistresses said they were glad, and they have something else to be pleased about. Potentially, at least, the government said today it would announce soon a plan to overturning the remaining 700 plus convictions, all in one go, if that is what they want.
7: He is on this list. God's sake, come on, turn it off. Details, man, come to bed. Paula Venables has got the CBE. Joking. It is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in recent history. Yet, some of those at the very top of the post office received honours for their service. But since the ITV drama, pressure has been mounting on Paula Venables, with more than one million people signing a petition to have her stripped of her CBE. Today, she released a statement and said. I have listened and I confirm that i returned my CBE with immediate effect. I am truly sorry for the devastation caused to the sub-postmasters and their families whose lives were torn apart by being wrongly accused and wrongly prosecuted. For Ian Warren, a former sub-postmaster who says his life was ruined by this scandal, this is just one small step in the right direction.
4: I think she has made a very
8: wise decision to hand it back herself. Uh, she should be made to suffer what we did, be prosecuted
4: and let the law uh, take its uh,
0: uh, course.
7: Ian still hasn't been compensated, and those who have worked on getting sub-postmasters justice are aware more needs to be done. Do you think returning the CBE is enough? No.
8: There were so many questions that were going unanswered, Uh, that questions that MPs were putting to her and she either didn't know the answers when she should have been uh, finding them out or she did know the answers and was not telling them to us.
7: While some sub-postmasters have had their conviction quashed, there are hundreds still waiting, which was part of the focus in the Commons today. Former senior cabinet ministers asked the Justice Secretary to explore ways to speed up the process.
9: We can do something good, Mr Speaker, together, if the Justice Secretary would bring a simple bill to quash all 800 immediately.
6: Uh, The suggestions he made is receiving active consideration. I expect to be able to make further announcements shortly.
7: But there are ethical questions about whether Parliament should intervene in an independent judiciary in this way. There is, however, clearly consensus across the political spectrum to overturn these convictions, but we are waiting on how and when that
6: will happen. Shihab Khan News at 10, Westminster. So who are the key figures in this scandal? Well, much of the criticism has fallen on Paula Vanels, who was chief executive of the post office between 2012 and 2019. But there are others facing questions too. Adam Crozier was chief executive of Royal Mail Group from 2003 to 2010 when it controlled the post office. And Angela van der Bogard was former head of partnerships and business improvement director at the post office. She was a central figure at the hearings. Politicians have also faced criticism. Sir Ed Davey, current leader of the Lib Dems, among them, who was Postal Affairs Minister during the coalition. He initially refused to even meet Mr Bates. He now says he was misled by post office executives at the time. Other Liberal Democrats held the role after him, including Sir Norman Lamb and former leader Joe Swinson. But here surely is the question. Have you personally ever walked into a post office and thought of the sub-postmaster or mistress? Blimey, they look like a bit of a crook. So how come no-one in politics looked at the hundreds of convictions and thought, this just can't be right? Robert is here uh, to talk about this. I mean, there are many questions. What are politicians going to do? What should they do? Is Ed Davey going to... Resigned, do you think, as a result of all this, because the public anger is continuing, no doubt about it. Well,
10: at the moment, Sir Davy is blaming everybody else, saying he was misled by the post office and his own officials. The job of ministers, however, is, as you say, it goes against common sense that there would be so many sub-postmaster Crooks? When in the history of the post office has there ever been so many crooks? Why didn't it ring alarm bells with him when there were so many? And he, I think at the time that he was in charge of the post office, this rather brave man, Alan Bates, had already put together 100. 100 is a lot of alleged sub so well, I mean. And, 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 and Ed Davy didn't think, oh, this is a bit odd. Why didn't he ask the post office, he was in charge as the minister uh, of this operation, and his officials for evidence that these people were all wrong. So he's still got more questions to answer. Absolutely no question about that. But then you've gone through the litany of other people who could have at an earlier stage stood up and said what the, 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 the you know, our systems show goes against all common sense. The computer must be wrong. And It's really quite terrifying in one sense that we're about to go into this age of AI when we're going to be delegating enormous numbers of operations to machines. One of the things that's come out as a result of what we've learned uh, through over the years of this scandal is that the law, when it comes to evidence based on computers, is completely wrong. Because basically, if a, in a court case, evidence is provided by a computer, the judge takes it for granted that that is just truth, factual truth. So none of the defendants have the ability to say, but the computers are wrong. They are effectively lying. We have to change the law in that fundamental sense. Now, the other thing that's going to happen, yes. I understand, is the government is going to introduce this uh, emergency legislation to declare all these people innocent. Some people may say, well, that is fantastic and long overdue. But some of these people who've been falsely accused actually want proper justice and they're not sure that their dignity will be restored by this emergency legislation. They would like to be proved innocent in court.
6: OK, Robert, thank you very much indeed. That's sequence from my colleagues
4: at ITV News. Here the Crown Office is facing questions over its role in the post office prosecutions. Scotland's Lord Advocate Dorothy Bain has offered to brief MSPs at Holyrood Members here may decide instead she should be summoned to explain. In the chamber, the First Minister Hamza Yusuf says his ministerial team is already working with counterparts in Whitehall to expedite clearing names and paying compensation. Labour's Anas Sarwar says truth and justice must be paramount. We'll hear from him shortly. First, Conservative leader Douglas Ross says the Lord Advocate must come to the chamber
11: to be quizzed. The Horizon Post Office scandal is a horrendous miscarriage of justice that ruined hundreds of lives. Politicians of all parties will rightly reflect on what they should have done sooner. The UK Government has now acted to overturn the wrongful convictions of innocent victims. In Scotland, however, prosecutions were handled by the Crown Office, not the Post Office. So can I ask the First Minister, has he established if a consent motion to UK law is the fastest way to clear all victims here in Scotland, and will he confirm to Parliament how he'll work with the UK Government to overturn these convictions as quickly as possible?
5: First Minister. Uh, President, Officer, can I first and foremost pay tribute to Alan Bates and all the other hundreds of campaigners, yeah, 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 a sub-postmasters. <laughs> sub- all of the sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses who campaigned tirelessly over decades to ensure that they receive justice, justice they are still waiting for. Of course, it should not have taken a TV drama for action to have to be taken. And Douglas Ross is right, uh, there is a need for reflection for all of those uh, involved. And the post office is, of course, a wholly uh, reserved institution which is accountable uh, to UK government uh, ministers. The difference, as Douglas Rush rightly points out here, is that prosecutions in Scotland have been taken forward by the Independent Crown and Procurator Fiscal uh, Service. I spoke to the Lord advocate uh, just this morning and the Solicitor General uh, this morning, uh, and she uh, is willing uh, to provide uh, a briefing uh, to uh, any MSPs that have uh, an interest in terms of the Crown's own handling uh, of uh, these issues uh, to answer... Uh, Douglas Ross's question directly. Uh, the Justice Secretary has written to her counterpart in the UK Government to say we're willing to work with the UK Government in relation to legislation they're bringing forward to overturn wrongful, uh, wrongful uh, convictions. Uh, I think the quickest way and fastest way to do that probably would be through the LCM uh, process, but there are a number of complexities to have to navigate Uh, and to have to work through for some of the reasons that Douglas Ross has already uh, highlighted. So I think we will, of course, engage uh, immediately and urgently, as we already have done with the UK government. But what is absolutely certain, whether you are in Scotland or any other part of the United Kingdom and have been impacted and affected by this, that sub postmasters have waited far too long for justice. They shouldn't have to wait a moment longer. Douglas (laughs) Ross.
11: I join the the First Minister in congratulating Alan Bates and others, as I did in the House of Commons earlier this week. Uh, Victims and the public will rightly ask why it's taken so long for this deep injustice to be corrected. And multiple political parties and many individuals should have and could have acted sooner. Blame starts with the post office, but people are understandably looking at what others could have done. Scotland's Crown Office were made aware of concerns with the Horizon system in 2013, more than 10 years ago. Dr Andrew Tickell, a senior law lecturer at Glasgow Caledonian University, said this week, and I quote, The revelation that the Crown Office knew of problems is huge. He continued, Did they stop prosecuting? Did it occur to them that any of their cases before 2013 might now be unsafe because of these uncertainties? And he added that Scotland was just at the beginning of addressing the miscarriage of justice, while England and Wales were much, much further down the line. D- I- I'm just quoting a law professor, so I'm, I'm simply asking the First Minister... Let's hear Mr Ross. Does he agree that the process here in Scotland needs to be accelerated? First Minister... I, I would say to uh, Douglas Ross, first and foremost, let's
5: remember, of course, that the, and there is a public inquiry, of course, uh, underway. But I think it's been well established, of course, that uh, the inaccurate data presented by the and inaccurate evidence presented by the post office is at the very heart uh, of the scandal. And the post office, of course, uh, is accountable and has been accountable to UK government minister and ministers over many successive Uh, UK Government. So that will all undoubtedly be uh, a matter of interrogation and questioning by the public inquiry. Uh, In terms of the Crown Office, and I reiterate the point that Lord Advocate is willing to meet with members of the Scottish Parliament to talk them through what the Crown has done, because these are independent functions of the uh, Crown and Procurator Fiscal Service. Uh, But my understanding is uh, that when uh, the, the Crown Office was told in 2013 uh, by post office uh, solicitors uh, about uh, the horizon uh, the challenges around horizon evidence, uh, they continued that dialogue uh, with the post office. Uh, but immediately in September two thousand and thirteen, they uh, made it aware uh, and provided guidance to every Scottish prosecutor at the earliest possible uh, point in time to treat cases reported by the post office. Uh, on their individual regard to their facts and circumstances and evidence which did not rely upon horizon. They then spent the next couple of years between 2013 and 2015 in continual dialogue with the Post Office to try to get further detail around the evidential basis. And uh, just to conclude the position uh, uh, post-2015 with regard to assurances uh, provided uh, is that in 2015 uh, the Crown Prosecution Service issued instructions to all prosecutors not to proceed with any post office case in which a sufficiency of evidence was dependent mm-hmm. on evidence from the Horizon system. So no cases prosecuted effectively from 2015 that, where, where the evidence was dependent on evidence from the Horizon uh, system. Uh, in terms of uh, where we are in relation Briefly, to the, the Scottish Criminal Case uh, Review uh, Commission, uh, what I'm willing to do is work with the UK government to look at a process which effectively, en masse, uh, seeks to overturn any wrongful convictions.
11: Douglas Ross. So, the actions of the Post Office were despicable and, and probably criminal, but the actions of the Crown Office here in Scotland should trouble us greatly. There was a sudden spike in cases involving people who were some of the most trusted in their communities, but the Crown Office proceeded anyway. That was until 2013, and suddenly they decided not to proceed with a case in the Gorbals. Now, the First Minister has just articulated that it was September 2013 when the Crown Office first found out and sent out that information, but it wasn't. We know on the 29th of January 2013 that a prosecutor fiscal cited, and I quote, issues with Horizon as the reason for not proceeding with a case in January 2013, not in September 2013. Stuart Munro, Convener of the Law Society of Scotland's Criminal Law Committee, said the Procurator Fiscal should have gone public. He says, and this is his quote, The Procurator Fiscal has a legal duty to disclose relevant information of those accused of crimes, and that duty continues even after a trial is concluded. As soon as the Procurator Fiscal became aware of concerns about the reliability of Horizon, that should have been disclosed. So does the First Minister agree that Scotland's Crown Office has serious questions to answer here? First Minister.
2: Well, what do I say to, to,
5: to Douglas Ross, uh, in, in, and I say this uh, genuinely in sincerity, is that the real questions, of course, are for the Post Office yeah. Yeah. and, of course, the information that Post Office provided, not just to the Crown, to government ministers uh, as well, and that is why a public inquiry uh, is so important and anybody who has questions to answer should cooperate with that public inquiry, but let's not forget the Post Office is a wholly reserved institution directly accountable to UK uh, Government Ministers. Uh, What I would say about questions to the Crown, and there there are legitimate questions uh, to ask of the Crown, the Crown, of course, uh, does operate independently of Government Ministers uh, and, of course, as it should uh, operate independently of uh, myself as the first uh, minister. So there are uh, questions, very legitimate questions that individuals and indeed members of this chamber will have for the Crown Office. I repeat uh, what Lord Advocate told me this morning. She is more than happy to provide a briefing uh, to uh, members of the Parliament that have an interest. I will uh, end uh, by reiterating the points I made at, at the very beginning, uh, which is that sub-postmasters, sub postmistresses have waited far too long for justice. It's incumbent on all of us to ensure that we, not just get them access to that justice but access to compensation too. Douglas Ross.
11: Uh, The UK-wide inquiry, which the First Minister has mentioned, will look at all of these issues. And it's right, it continues to scrutinise what happened. But we must examine the unique circumstances in Scotland where the Crown Office were responsible for prosecutions of innocent people. If the Crown Office knew of specific problems more than a decade ago, that raises serious questions. We don't know what they did if anything, without information. The Horizon Post Office scandal has devastated lives. It is the most appalling uh, miscarriage of justice. Good people were criminalised because of an IT failure they had nothing to do with and a cover-up that lasted for years. It's right that no stone is left unturned in seeking answers. The Crown Office in Scotland must be transparent. Prosecutors were aware of issues with the flawed horizon system more than 10 years ago. So, First Minister, we don't need meetings or briefings from the Lord Advocate. We need her here in Parliament to answer questions about this scandal. Does the First Minister agree that the the Lord Advocate should urgently come to this Parliament to answer questions? First Minister. Uh,
5: again, can, can I just remind uh, Douglas and this is a really important point, of course, that the Lord Advocate, uh, when she when dis- discharges her functions uh, as uh, head of the prosecution service, she does so independently uh, of me. Uh, when I spoke to Lord Advocate this morning... Uh, She was more than happy to consider whether it was a briefing, whether it was a ministerial statement, whatever was appropriate. She was willing to consider that and I'm certain the Lord advocate uh, is listening to these exchanges. And of course it will be for her to determine in her independent function as head of the prosecution service uh, on terms of how she should answer any of those questions. Let me reiterate uh, the point here uh, that Scottish prosecutors were told in September 2013 to treat cases reported by the Post Office in regard to their facts and circumstances and evidence which did not not rely upon horizon, so they should be uh, reported under individual regard. Then, of course, no cases were prosecuted. Uh, from 2015, uh, where the sufficiency of evidence was dependent on the evidence from the Horizon system. And my understanding again uh, from uh, the conversations I've had with the Lord Advocate is that uh, the engagement with the Post Office between 2013 and 2015, uh, the Crown Office were assured by Post Office and their legal representatives that issues that arise with the Horizon system in England did not impact on any live Scottish cases. So they continued to seek those assurances and then took the action that they did in both 2013 and 2015 as well. I simply end uh, where I started. Time and time again, sub-postmasters, sub-postmistresses were telling uh, the UK uh, government, they were telling ministers in the UK government that the body that they are wholly responsible for, the post office, was lying. Uh, They were simply not telling the truth about the horizons System. time and time again they were not listened to. They have waited far too long for justice, they waited far too long for compensation. This government will work with the UK government to ensure they get access to not just justice but access to the compensation they so uh,
2: rightly deserve.
4: You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher Here's Labour leader Anas Sarwar
2: The lives of potentially hundreds of Scottish sub-postmasters and their families were ruined by post office and Fujitsu People lost their livelihoods and in some cases even lost their lives. They've described being ostracised in their communities, their families shunned, and their children targeted. It is a national disgrace. I welcome that these convictions will be overturned, but there is more to this scandal. Unlike in England and Wales, where the post office itself brought these prosecutions, in Scotland they were carried out by the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal. And as we have heard, we know ministers in the Crown were made aware of concerns around unsafe prosecutions in 2013. So can I ask the First Minister what conversations he, his Justice Secretary and the Lord Advocate have had about the role of Scottish institutions in prosecuting these cases and how this was allowed to happen for so long?
3: First Minister.
5: uh, Let me just be clear, uh, whether I was Justice Secretary at the time or indeed in my current role as First Minister, it would be wholly inappropriate. For any government minister to demand to see the evidential basis for a case that the Crown was prosecuting. I, I know Anna is not asking that, but I'm making the point here uh, that if the, the, the issue here is the evidence that was provided by the Post Office, it would be wrong for me to, in any ministerial position, to suggest that I need to see that evidential basis in any individual prosecution. Anna Sarwar asked what conversations I've had with Lord Advocate. I had a conversation again this morning with the Lord Advocate, and Lord Advocate stressed a number of points. She's happy to provide timeline in terms of uh, how the Crown has responded. Uh, She is very confident about uh, the Crown's uh, response. They were told in 2013 about possible problems. They issued guidance to their individual prosecutors in 2013. They stopped prosecuting cases in 2015 after a period of uh, continual uh, conversation with the Post Office. stopped prosecuting cases in 2015 where the sufficiency of evidence was dependent uh, on the horizon. Uh, system and Lord Advocate is open to briefing members of the Scottish Parliament. And again, as we've already heard, whether that's through a briefing or whether that's through a ministerial statement, I'm sure Lord Advocate uh, will of course uh, reflect. But Anna Sauer is absolutely right, at the heart of this hundreds of people right across the United Kingdom whose lives and reputations have been tarnished and ruined. It is incumbent that the, This government works with any other government, including the UK government, across uh, the United Kingdom to ensure that justice, uh, is, is, uh, justice is forthcoming and, comp- and access to compensation is not impeded.
2: And <coughs> there are big questions for the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal, and I think it would be right if the Lord Advocate came to this Parliament to answer those questions from members. But this goes beyond convictions. Disturbing accounts from the public inquiry have revealed that post office employees were going door to door in Scotland to threaten and extort money from sub-postmasters. In behaviour reminiscent of the mob, these stories show that the post office behaved like a private police force and showed little regard for the law in Scotland. Sub-postmasters were pressured into accepting accusations of false accounting and forced to hand over thousands of pounds that day or face imprisonment. First Minister, if any other organisation had behaved like this in Scotland, we would expect to see criminal investigations into their conduct. So does he agree that this potentially criminal behaviour by post office officials in Scotland should be properly investigated so this scandal does not go unpunished? First Minister. Uh, can I say to uh,
5: Anas Sarwar um, and I should have perhaps said this at the beginning of my response to Douglas Ross, I, I uh, absolutely... Um, Empathise in the strongest way possible with the harrowing tales that we have heard from sub postmasters and sub postmistresses right up and down the country. My own family are sub postmasters. My late grandfather was a, a sub uh, postmaster, and my step grand uh, continues uh, to be so, uh, although not affected by this uh, particular uh, scandal. What I would say to Anna the big difference of course is that the Post Office does not have the ability to bring private prosecutions here in Scotland. That is very different, of course, to the situation in England uh, and uh, Wales. Uh, the the behaviours uh, of the Post Office should absolutely rightly be interrogated. Uh, that is why there is a public inquiry. And of course, if there are any behaviours that are possibly criminal in Scotland, again it is not for me uh, to investigate uh, those. It would rightly be for the independent Crown Procurator Fiscal Service to do so, I've got every confidence that the Crown uh, will look into allegations uh, uh, or any, uh, any uh, allegations that are made uh, to them about any potential criminal behaviour. President
2: <laughs> Officer, too often in this country, when there is an injustice, the first instinct of institutions and government is to protect themselves. Whether it's the sub-postmasters taking on the post office, the Hillsborough scandal, the C. diff scandal at the Vale of Leven or victims at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. It shouldn't take victims, disclosing the most harrowing moments of their lives, to shame both of Scotland's governments into action. But it happens too often. Government is meant to be on the people's side, but tragically when victims come looking for justice, all they get are more barriers put in their way. And the silence, denial and cover-up compounds the injustice and amplifies their pain. Now ministers, be they Scottish or UK, always say we must learn the lessons and it can't be allowed to happen again. But it does. So does the First Minister agree that the priority for government should be truth and justice for victims rather than protecting institutions or protecting individual reputations?
8: Uh, Look, I I do
5: agree uh, that it is of paramount importance. I do remind Anna Sauer, of course, the Labour Party were in the UK government for a number of years while sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses were telling UK government postal ministers, Labour ministers that the post office was presenting inaccurate data. So I think it is important for all UK-based parties in particular to reflect on their relationship with the post office and whether they were listening uh, or not. In terms of, uh, in terms of the government's uh, approach, uh, I think we can demonstrate time and time and time again where issues have been brought to this government. Uh, we have not only engaged Uh, Often in really difficult conversations, engage with individuals who bring forward uh, harrowing stories and tales. But where necessary, of course, we will always investigate, whether that's through uh, the independence of uh, commissioners that we have here, whether it's the uh, patient safety uh, commissioner, which I'm pleased uh, that bill has uh, passed, whether it's through the duty of candour in relation to the NHS, whether it's through public inquiries that we instruct. Uh, This government's approach has been and will always be to ensure that we seek the truth and that we always ensure that we do right by the people of Scotland. And when it comes to this particular issue, when it comes to sub postmasters here in Scotland, we will work with whoever we need to, including, of course, uh, the UK government, to ensure that those individuals not only get access to justice, but
4: compensation which has been denied to them for far too long. In the House of Commons, a plague on all your houses, says the SNP's Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn.
9: Mr Speaker, a Horizon system introduced by... Tony Blair, the former Labour Party leader and of course now a knight's garter a horizon system defended by the current leader of the Liberal Democrats, himself a knight bachelor. A horizon system scandal overseen by a former Conservative Prime Minister who now hides in the House of Lords as a baron. The reality is that sub-postmasters never stood a chance against the Westminster establishment, did they?
7: yeah,
1: yeah. Well, Mr. Speaker, as I've said, this is actually one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our country's history. And all our thoughts are with those who worked so hard for their communities and have seen their lives and reputations destroyed. And and since this scandal, as the Honourable Gentleman pointed out, has actually unfolded over decades and with multiple people... Clearly at fault. But since 2019 in the High Court case, this government established a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams to uncover what went wrong, established an independent advisory board and has established three different compensation schemes paying out £150 million to over 2,500 people with now almost two thirds having received final compensation. But we must go further and faster, Mr <laughs>
9: Speaker, which is why we have made new announcements today. Yeah,
1: yeah.
9: Also to- M- Mr Speaker, I don't think the Prime Minister quite gets it. This isn't just a plague on all their houses. This is a plague on this house itself, because injustice goes far beyond just the sub-postmasters. Just ask the WASPy women, or the victims of the equitable life scandal, or the victims of the infected blood scandal, or the victims' families from Grenfell or Hillsborough. The reality is that when the public come knocking on the doors of this here chamber seeking justice, the government only ever answers when they have no options left. Now, The Leader of the Opposition said last week that the public are right to be angry at Westminster – and they are angry at Westminster. They are angry at Westminster. Because they know that this place never really changes. Does it, Prime Minister?
10: No,
9: Mr. Speaker. Uh, This is, uh, you know, and actually
1: I am sad that the Honourable Gentleman is trying to politicise something that has happened over multiple decades with multiple people at fault. But the key thing is, after the 2019 High Court case, the government did act to establish an independent inquiry independent compensation schemes and as i said has paid out compensation to two and a half thousand people but rather than trying to politicize it what we should be doing is focusing on the people affected and making sure that they get the answers justice and compensation that they deserve and that
4: is what we are delivering politics change but never stop it affects everything we do i'm charles fletcher with the week in hollywood Join me here for coverage of the Scottish, UK and European parliaments. It's a crucial election year where you once again have a choice. Who's in, who's out. The ups, the downs. Join me, Charles Fletcher, bringing Holyrood home. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher and still to come in the programme – Backbench questions to the First Minister and the first PMQs of the year. We're inside Westminster. It's election year. The Prime Minister says he expects that to be in the later part of the year with good money going on October after conference season. But there are still bets on a May election and Rishi Sunak has left enough wriggle room to call it for then. In Scotland, Hamza Yusuf says everyone in Scotland would be £10,000 better off with independence.
5: The real life shining example for Scotland that we can aspire to, independent countries that are significantly fairer and wealthier than the UK. Countries like Ireland, like Norway, Denmark, they have both higher productivity but also lower inequality than the UK. In other words, they combine that economic dynamism with social solidarity. So with all of our strengths, the key question is this. Why not Scotland? In a recently recent well-publicised report, the Resolution Foundation said that if the United Kingdom had the average income and inequality of similar countries, then the typical household would be £8,300 better off. And if we use that very same analysis for countries that are similar to Scotland, the prize for the typical Scottish household would be even greater. They would be £10,200 better off. That, then, is the huge prize of independence.
4: Labour's Anas Sarwar says that Sahiba Baloney, he's ready for the change he says is coming in Edinburgh and London.
2: Scotland is being failed by two bad governments who want you to believe this is as good as it gets but to both those governments, we are putting you on notice because we are ready for a general election whenever the squatter in number 10 decides to call one. We are determined that 2024 will be the year of change, the year we put Scotland at the heart of a fairer, better, more prosperous UK, the year we start delivering thousands of green jobs, the year we drive down bills by up to 1,400 pounds, the year we deliver for working people and make work pay. The year we finally get rid of this rotten Tory government and the year we make Labour the party of government again. Together we can make it happen. 2024, the year that change is delivered for Scotland and the UK. The change that we so desperately need. So let's get to work, join us on that journey and let's make that change happen together.
4: Well, let's head to London now and join the UK Labour leader Keir Starmer for his questions. To the Prime Minister.
8: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I heard what the Prime Minister just said about the post office scandal. It is a huge injustice. People lost their lives, their liberty, and their livelihood, and they've been waiting far too long for the truth for justice and for compensation. So I'm glad the Prime Minister is putting forward a proposal. We will look at the details, and I think it's the job of all of us to make sure that it delivers the justice that is so needed. Mr Speaker, back in 2022, when Boris Johnson claimed he would send asylum seekers to Rwanda, one ambitious Tory MP had reservations. He agreed with Labour that it wouldn't work It was a waste of money. It was the latest in a long line of gimmicks. Does the Prime Minister know what happened to that MP? Well, Mr... Mr Speaker...
1: Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker... What that Honourable Gentleman refers to is a document that he hasn't seen, I haven't seen, and has been reported second-hand in a bunch of media newspapers. But what I can tell him... What I can tell him is I am absolutely clear that you do need to stop the boats, and that's what this government and that MP is going to deliver.
8: I, I notice he didn't deny it, yeah. Mr Speaker. I'm not surprised. £400 million of taxpayer money down the drain. No one sent to Rwanda. Small boats still coming. It's hardly a surprise. He wanted to scrap the scheme When he was trying to sneak in as Tory leader. But he's been caught red handed opposing the very thing that he's now made his flagship policy. Which member should we listen to? The one before us today or the one who used to believe in something?
1: Mr Mr. Speaker Speaker, I've always been crystal clear you do need to have an effective deterrence to finally solve this problem. In fact the National Crime Agency agree that you need in their words an effective removals and deterrence agreement and that's why after becoming Prime Minister I negotiated a new deal with Albania thanks to which we have seen a 93% drop in illegal arrivals from Albania. That's how Australia stopped the boats. That's why Italy, Germany and Austria are all looking at similar schemes. He's the only one who's opposed to a proper deterrent. Not because it doesn't work, because he doesn't actually believe in controlling migration, Mr Speaker. Every single time he picks the people smugglers over the British people.
8: Mr Speaker, we should smash the gangs process the claims and end hotel use that's our plan and unlike the Prime Minister, I believe in it but Mr.
9: I'm going to hear the questions I don't want interruptions please it's very important, it's a very important topic and I take it seriously I hope members also wish to start taking it seriously Prime Minister
8: uh, 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 Mr Speaker, last year he started the year saying he was Mr Steady Then at his conference, he was Mr. Change. Now he's flipped back to Mr. More of the Same. doesn't matter how many relaunches, flip-flops he does, he'll always be Mr. Nobody. And here's the tragedy of his leadership. He spends the whole time trying to convince people not to believe their own eyes, pretending that debt is falling, that the economy is going gangbusters, the NHS is in great shape. When he finally finds something he was right about, the Rwanda gimmick, he can't even take credit for it. (laughs) When's he going to stop pretending that up is down, that black is white, admit that whether it's the economy, immigration, the NHS, he has failed? (laughs) Mr Speaker, well, let's
1: just go through his checklist. He talks about the backlog... 112,000 decisions made last year, a higher number than in any year in the past two decades, Mr. Speaker. He talked about hotels. Well, the first 50 are being closed and there are more to come, Mr. Speaker. He talks about the numbers. Well, they were down by over a third last year, Mr. Speaker, the first time that's happened. And then he talked, Mr. Speaker, he talked about smashing the gangs. Well, if he does care about smashing the gangs, why doesn't he own up to the fact that when it came to the Nationality and Borders Act, he blocked, delayed and voted against the powers in that act, which have allowed us to now arrest... Hundreds and hundreds of people connected with that illegal trade who have been sentenced to hundreds of years in prison. He opposed that because he chooses the criminal gangs over the British people every time.
9: I don't think we are. Keir Starmer.
8: Mr. Speaker, we can all see what's happened here. Just like he knows that debt isn't falling and taxes are going up, he knows the Rwanda gimmick won't work. But he can't be honest about it because he's too scared of his own MPs. Doesn't he wish he'd stuck to his guns rather than to allow himself to be taken hostage by his own party? Mr.
1: Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we We're debating this because we have taken a stand and we're delivering the toughest migration plan ever to end the legal challenges and actually get flights off the ground. And let's be clear about this. He doesn't have a single single practical idea about how to stop the boat. But that's because he doesn't actually care about controlling migration. This is a person who described all immigration law as racist, Mr Speaker. He thinks limits on economic migration are, in his words, economic vandalism. It didn't even feature once in his five missions, and he didn't mention it once in his conference speech. The truth is... He's pro-free movement, he's anti-border control and he can never be trusted to stop the boat.
4: You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. Now, back in the comfy seats of the press gallery at the Scottish Parliament, we continue with questions to the First Minister. Here's the presiding officer, Alison Johnston.
0: Question number six, Paul Sweeney. (laughs)
3: Thank you, Presiding Officer. So to ask the First Minister what urgent steps have been taken to address reports of a mental health crisis, with an increase in calls to the NHS 24 Mental Health Hub. First Minister,
5: there is no question that, for many people, recent times have been extremely challenging. Exacerbated, of course, by COVID, and we you know the cost of living uh, crisis. So we are committed to support people's mental health and wellbeing uh, just as we are to support their physical health. Two, our recently published mental health and wellbeing strategy, uh, delivery plan and workforce action plan recognises that an effective mental health system must address all levels of need. They set out what people have a right to expect from high quality mental health services and the actions we're taking to achieve those aims. Uh, these actions will continue to evolve, of course, over time, and I'm always open to constructive dialogue with opposition parties on where they think we can go further. Uh, the member references the NHS twenty four uh, call volumes. It's good uh, that more people feel able to come forward and ask for help for their mental health and our substantially increased investment in NHS 24 is helping to ensure that more calls can be responded to. Paul well, Sweeney.
3: Data from NHS 24 reveals that calls regarding alcohol problems have risen by over 600 in two years, and calls regarding psychotic symptoms have more than doubled since 2021. That is not simply people presenting for the first time First Minister, that's people who are not being seen urgently in the way that they should. And last year, astonishingly, over seven. children and young people were turned away from CAMHS. That is an average of 26 children a day. Primary and community care services are under growing pressure, and yet ministers have failed to start recruiting the promised additional 1,000 mental health roles whilst cutting the budget for the coming year by £5 million after inflation. Will the First Minister accept that his mental health strategy will fail unless it is properly resourced?
5: When it comes to mental health funding, I mean, this government has a record that we are proud of standing on. And again, this is in the face of the most difficult set of finances uh, and, and constrictions that we have faced uh, in the history of devolution. The autumn statement from the UK government was the worst-case scenario uh, for Scotland. But despite that, the difficult decisions, of course, have to be made uh, across government in terms of uh, budget. But this is not foc- this is not stopped. Are focused on on key uh, priorities, and since 2020-2021, the mental health directorate's programme budget has more than doubled. When it comes to staffing, which is mentioned, uh, which is mentioned uh, by uh, Paul uh, Sweeney, uh, after uh, following our record-breaking investment in CAMs, which I have just mentioned, uh, CAM staffing has more than doubled under this government. It's gone up by over uh, 126% since. At 2007. And these are difficult decisions that have been made right across the United Kingdom because of those uh, cuts coming from uh, the UK uh, government. In fact, if I look at Labour Run Wales and their 24-25 budget, here's a quote from their budget. We can no Thank longer increase funding... Thank you, First Minister by 15% in 2024 as was originally planned, we've reduced existing mental health budget by a further £6 million. So my point is, of course, that we will do everything we possibly can Briefly, to First increase Minister. the investment in mental health, uh, but we cannot do that in the face of continued cuts from the UK Government.
1: Karen Adam.
0: Thank you, because I know, sir.
11: Research indicates that 10% of children and young people have a clinically diagnosable mental health issue, and that's around three children in every class. Neurodiverse children and young people are struggling in particular right now, with Scotland currently facing a severe shortage of ADHD medication, which affects approximately 26,000 people. Can I ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government can do to help address this issue? First
0: Minister.
5: Uh, uh, Karen Karen Adam, forgive me, uh, does raise a very, very important issue uh, indeed, which I know impacts a number of people across the country. And I do recognise the impact of the global medicine shortages on people living with ADHD and the impact on their families uh, as well. The pricing and supply of medicines is of course a reserve matter for the UK Government but we do engage with them uh, regularly and have engaged with them specifically on this particular issue. Uh, The shortages are caused by a combination of manufacturing issues and a global increase in demand and of course the Brexit red tape certainly hasn't helped. It is anticipated that most of the shortages of ADHD medicine will be resolved uh, this month. Uh, NHS Scotland has robust systems in place to manage medicine shortages when they do arise and anyone who is affected should of course speak to the clinical team in the first instance
7: you move to general and constituency supplementaries and i call tess white officer matrix is one of breakin's biggest employers but most of its employees right now await news of their jobs as the manufacturing firm considers considers its future. Storm Babette has been blamed when the factory was under four feet of water with extensive machine damage. Can the First Minister tell us what his government has done to protect and preserve these highly skilled jobs in Breakin and when the SNP will finally fulfil its promise to support the town at its greatest time of need? First Minister...
5: I of course uh, did uh, visit uh, Brecon uh, after uh, Storm uh, Babette and of course we have uh, been able to dispense with thousands uh, of pounds in relation to business uh, recovery uh, grants and I can get the exact detail uh, to Tess White in that regard so we are stepping up to help uh, the people and the businesses of breaking through funding that we have uh, made available. And we were quick, uh, of course, not just to visit, but to make sure that we acted. Uh, in terms of Matrix International more generally, more broadly, uh, I know that the Cabinet Secretary uh, is engaged. I know that Scottish Enterprise continue to be engaged. I was very disappointed to hear reports of potential job losses at Matrix uh, International. Uh, and, of course, the Scottish Government will provide uh, support through our pace uh, initiative pace has already met with the company to offer support to the workforce but neil gray will continue to 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 uh, remain engaged as will scottish enterprise i'm happy to write to test white with further details of that engagement
4: this is the week in hollywood i'm charles sletcher
10: i'm duncan glancy thank you presiding officer during the stage one debate on my disabled persons transition to adulthood bill the government argued that a change in the law wasn't needed because good practice on asn was spreading New data from the government school census shows that the number of children with ASN getting legal support via a coordinated support plan has reached its lowest point ever. Despite promised action from this government, including as far back as 2016, things are getting worse, not better, and a generation are failed. So can I ask the First Minister, with countless promises from his government that things will get better, why is support for young people with additional support needs getting so much worse?
3: First Minister.
5: We have uh, invested significantly in ASN support uh, for our young people. Uh, what I would say to uh, Pam Duncan-Glancy is, of course, that there are a number of reasons why the government doesn't, didn't feel that they could support uh, her bill. But we are always open to work with Pam Duncan-Glancy, with any member right across this chamber, uh, to see what further work we can do, what more we can do, to support our young people when it comes to the ASN uh, support they require. But, of course, what we will continue to do is not just... Uh, invest uh, in that. We'll continue to engage with our local authorities, who, of course, in Budget 24, uh, 25, as presented by the Deputy First Minister, are getting a significant increase in their budget, which will hopefully help in this regard. This is the
4: Week in Holyrood I'm Charles Fletcher.
0: Jim Fairley. Thank you very much, President Officer.
2: First Minister, like many others, I've been contacted by constituents on the Scottish Government's position uh, on the bully dog and the position of the bully dog breed, the XL bully dog breed. In light of the new controls on the breed in England and Wales, which have come into effect on the 1st of February, can the First Minister outline when his government will reach a decision on their own on this issue?
0: First Minister.
5: Well, uh, first uh, and foremost, it's probably worth saying that the, uh, the, the description of what is happening in England and Wales is not a, a ban on XL uh, bully uh, dogs. Of course, they can still, uh, owners can still uh, keep an XL bully dog. They have to make sure it's registered on the exemption index they have to fulfil the other criteria uh, of the legislation and of course when this was first announced without any consultation uh, with the Scottish Government or indeed as far as I can see any consultation with animal uh, welfare stakeholders uh, we committed the Scottish Government to engage with animal welfare stakeholders and of course uh, to continue to engage with the UK uh, Government. What has become clear I'm afraid in the last few weeks is that we have seen a flow uh, of XL Bully Dogs coming uh, to Scotland, a number of people uh, transferring, uh, coming to to, to Scotland to bring XL Bully Dogs uh, here To the country. Uh, As such, uh, and we will give further details uh, to uh, members of the Scottish Parliament through a ministerial statement if the Parliamentary Bureau uh, agrees next week, Uh, we will uh, in essence replicate the legislation that is in England uh, and uh, Wales here in Scotland. Because ultimately, although we do have uh, a very good system of dog control uh, notice uh, schemes, um, and, and we do take the approach of deed not breed. We have to respond uh, to the situation uh, as it currently stands, and therefore uh, we will do what we need to do to ensure public safety. But further detail will be given uh, by uh, the appropriate Minister next week, subject to Parliamentary Bureau's agreement.
2: Thank you, Presiding Officer. New figures show that 11 people have died and 69 have been seriously injured in accidents on the A96 in the last four years. The Scottish Government promised in 2011 that it would be duelled by 2030, but that is now subject to a review at a cost of £5 million and whose publication has been delayed by over a year. So, First Minister, when will this review finally be published and will this Government ever duel this killer road? First Minister,
5: what, uh, of course, doesn't help when it comes to our capital infrastructure projects is a 10% cut to our capital budget over the next five years. So what Conservative members can't do is come to this chamber, demand we continue to invest in roads, but simultaneously cut our budget time and time and time uh, again. So as confirmed, let's hear our the First Minister for government. We remain absolutely committed to improving the A96, including dueling Inverness to Nairn and the Nairn Bypass, which already has ministerial consent following that public local inquiry. The Minister for Transport is due, uh, I believe, uh, is due to meet, I know, with uh, uh, members uh, uh, that have an interest in the A96 uh, on the 25th uh, of January. We'll provide a more detailed update on the scheme, along with details about how the review uh, is being undertaken on the wider A96 corridor. However, in the interim, let me absolutely assure uh, all members that preparation uh, work continues at pace on the Inverness uh, to Nairn, including Nairn Bypass Section, and I can advise that I expect orders for the scheme that will be made made in the first quarter of 2024, with a view to completing the necessary statutory process. And Neil Bibby.
9: Thank you, President Officer. The Accounts Commission today are discussing their report into Renfrewshire Council's handling of the Dargaville schools debacle, estimated to cost Renfrewshire's children and taxpayers up to £170 million. The Commission has stated the Council faces a challenge to rebuild trust and confidence. They have also stated the community will be dealing with the consequences of this era for some time. Given that, how can the First Minister have confidence in Renfrewshire Council when so many local parents do not? And given funding for a new Thorn Primary School has been rejected by the government. What support will the government provide to Renfrewshire's children to stop them paying the price of their council's incompetence? First Minister. Uh, can I
5: say, uh, first and foremost, that Neil Bibby is right, and he has been right over a number of months, to raise uh, the serious concerns that parents have in Renfrewshire uh, over uh, this particular situation. And they will, the council will have to reflect very hard uh, in relation to how they rebuild trust uh, with uh, parents in this uh, in, in this regard, uh, we do have, uh, from the Scottish Government's perspective, a good record of investing uh, in schools in terms of new schools and also refurbishments uh, right across uh, local authorities, including. On FM, online, and on your smartphone. This is
10: Moons
6: FM. News.